Hello, and welcome to The Solutionist Show on All About Animals Radio. I am your host, Billy Broom. On The Solutionist Show, I chat with innovators, change makers, activists, revolutionaries, leaders, rebels, and disruptors, all of whom saw a need for a solution. And in doing so, they created a solution. So we discuss their journey, their challenges, and provide you with helpful tips to be a part of the solution. As many of you know, I am a big believer in taking a pluralistic and holistic approach to creating change and in solutions. So today I am honored to chat with Dr. Edward Bassingthwaite. Dr. Edward is the creator of Whole Energy Body Balance or WEB, a somatic bodywork treatment that provides relief from painful physical conditions as well as emotional and physical tension due to past trauma, which is right up my alley as well. So this is going to be so good. Dr. Edward has been featured in the Daily Telegraph, The Feed, SBS, Ticker News, and more. He is known as the Healing Vet. Welcome, Dr. Edward. Thank you so much for being our guest and for sharing your story and your and your insights. Well, thanks for having me. We're going to have a lot of fun today. Yeah, this is such a cool topic. So you started out as a veterinarian. And then from there, tell us, tell, tell us how that well, evolved. I, I did start out as a veterinarian. I'm still going on as a veterinarian, but I definitely took a very big change in direction away from the more kind of classic um, veterinary path, you know, Western medicine path. Uh, right. And that that came for a couple of reasons. It came because I, I met a very innovative horse vet when I was only graduated a year and a half or so, Dr. Tom Ahern, who found a way to work on horses' necks and he would take horses that had a forelimb lameness that they would nerve block and x-ray, couldn't find any reason for the lameness. He'd mobilize the neck and the lameness would go away. And he was a beautiful, <laughs> generous teacher and sat down with me for a couple of hours, taught me a whole lot of stuff. And I thought, well, what about dogs and cats? Because they have necks and backs too. Uh, and at that point, I, I, there was no one to teach me. There were no modalities, there was nothing. So I just started getting my hands onto the animals, feeling, exploring with more intention. Very quickly, I found a whole lot of pain and tension and dysfunction that before I went actively looking for it was flying right under my radar. Uh, mm. And I've pretty much been then, then when I found there was a problem, I wanted to do something to help these animals. So I started playing around with touch, with movement, with pressure. Uh, I think it comes from growing up on a on a cattle property or a ranch. If you're in more the kind of Americas, uh, you learn that if there's a problem, well, the problem you need to find a solution. So I think having that kind of background led to me just experimenting, innovating. Uh, then I I went to England for a while, and I got chronic fatigue syndrome, got very very unwell, and that led to a hell of a lot of pain and tension in my own body. So I've had a lot of work with a lot of very high level practitioners, osteopaths, structural integration, heller work, rolfing, craniosacral, um, a range of different things like that, which I've learned a hell of a lot from having people work on me that I then transfer to the animals. And I also really got into energy healing at that time because the only thing after Western medicine helped me with a few things, but they ran out of answers very quickly and energy medicine was 
one of the only things that gave me any kind of symptomatic relief when I was really unwell with chronic fatigue. So I've also integrated that deeply into what I do with animals and what I teach. I love that because I think having a personal and a professional background and experience, including hands-on, and I love what you said about growing up on a farm because I live in farm country in Canada, and that is so true. I mean, solutions are thought of sometimes right, you know, as the problem or the situation arises and the need for a solution and around us that we can find those around us without taking traditional measures all the time, just by being uh, opening our minds and opening our mindset and, and, and thinking of things differently, approaching things differently and looking around at the tools and resources and not necessarily tangible tools, but intangible ones as well that are around us. And, and to really think about what is the source of the problem and what resources do we have? So I think that's really interesting that you were raised with a, you know, a mindset like that to be creative on your solutions. Yeah, well, I, I think too, if, if you're gonna innovate and if you're gonna create something new, you've got to be willing to experiment and you've got to be willing to fail and learn from failures. I think that is one of the most important things that anyone who wants to truly be creative and, and make things that are new, either totally innovative, totally new, or innovative applications of existing things, which is um, you know an equally valuable pathway, you've got to try things and see what works. And you've got to not get discouraged when you try things that don't work. I think Edison tried hundreds of different designs before he made a light bulb that worked, for instance. Right, and, and by trying it and having it not work, that is still part of creating the solution because you can take that information and start to assess why it didn't work in this particular situation, but why it did in this one and what the differences are. And there could be a lot of, especially when it comes to animals, either behavior or physical, there's a lot of different factors that could affect that outcome. And I personally find it really interesting to do that and have been doing that for decades where it's just a matter of, huh, interesting. I wonder what the difference and why it's successful here and not here. So I do want to get back to when you were working with uh, this horse specialist. Mm -hmm. um, so that when you were talking about getting your hands dirty, that correlates exactly with what we were just talking about with just getting in there and, and, mm -hmm. uh, and your way of, so you sort of had a platform to feed off of, you had a beginning point, and then you somewhat took it from there and learned from yourself along with your personal yeah. experience. So I had a beginning point of someone who'd, who'd innovated a way to mobilize the spine to release nerve root compressions, which then, you know, if you get a nerve root compression, you get referred pain get changes in blood um, vessel tone. So blood supply changes to the to wherever that feet, nerve root is feeding out to. So what I really got was some information that woke me up to the to a whole new possibility of, of pain and dysfunction in animals. And then I just started exploring and experimenting and I've been doing that ever since. And that's mostly dogs dogs and cats just because that's most of your client base 
Well, dogs and cats. I've I've also worked quite a bit with humans. Um, okay. You know, many years ago, when I was in Townsville, oh, that'd be more than twenty years ago now. I had a um, a market stall every Sunday where I did energy healing and head, neck, and shoulder massages and stuff like that with humans. I did have a a small business doing body work with humans at that time. Um, I've had ongoing with with my partners. You know, I've had a couple of one long-term marriage and a couple of long-term partnerships. I've continued to to share body work with my partners. I'm now getting back into really working with humans again. And in the last month or two, I've started getting hands-on with horses again. So I am sort of involved. Mm, full circle. Passing. All the yeah. way back around. That's wonderful. Full, just getting a real wide range of experience and hands-on experience and learning. And also applying it's it almost becomes i know for me that's what happened as well with cognitive behavioral therapy just as you're applying it you're learning it and then learning from different resources and then continuing to apply and and also a lot of my clients have had their own personal experience so they can relate to it and relate to what's going on and and like you're saying myself and like yourself you can just continue to learn from a lot of different yeah, like you said, getting hands dirty in a lot of different directions. What would oh. your challenges be? Would you say, um, in the sense of now, I, I did see that you you do teach this to um, people who want to apply it to. I look like mostly dogs, but dogs and cats, probably some horse people as well. So they take your course. What would you say is the biggest challenge in? getting it getting it out there on that larger scale or teaching it or what, what what was what were some challenges that you faced well the first challenge i faced was that i was still unwell with chronic fatigue and lyme um so yeah, oh gosh that's... it wasn't until i kind of realized i had lyme now i don't have a definitive diagnosis but i got a hell of a lot better after i started taking lyme focused herbs so i'm assuming that it was lyme disease and certainly that all the symptoms were very consistent yeah with it uh, and then, the, you know, I had also had to get out of unhealthy relationship dynamics. I was in a very toxic, narcissistic type behavior marriage. So yeah. it's not until five years ago when I got out of all of that. I, I started teaching the web body work for pets about 10 years ago and was doing face to face um, workshops, you know, maybe three or four times a year. Then in 2019, we took the trainings online and that was really where we could start to reach out to a larger audience. Um, and then probably about three years ago, we started teaching the energy work for animals, which is the intuitive development, energy healing side of things uh, about one and a half years ago, or maybe a little bit longer, we started teaching web for humans and we're going to, teach web for horses for the first time later this year. So it's been an, an ongoing progression. Uh, there's always ongoing challenges in any, any entrepreneurial endeavor in terms of you've got to be continually innovating and experimenting and growing within the marketplace because otherwise you're going to die. Uh, so it doesn't matter whether you're working with your hands on work, your healing modalities or whatever, then you've got the whole other layer of, of, of business and marketing and 
and that sort of thing, which is also incredibly important. And uh, as one of my mentors, Rachel Jane Groover says, uh, you know, business is the ultimate spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. Because it keeps keeps everything progressive and moving and learning and <coughs> being creative. You got to keep growing. If yeah. you don't keep growing, you're in trouble in business. Yeah. Good for you. That's really good. And I think um, getting over those physical uh, challenges for yourself and also relationship challenges. I think we can all relate to how draining those can be when you're trying to focus. When I was writing my book, actually, I, I got very sick. Um, I thought I had Jardia, which I'm sure you know what that is. So um, that can be very draining as well. As in, well, you know, Lyme disease is very, they're, they're very, mm -hmm. so um, yeah, it can, can sort of put you in a, mindset or a headspace where just everything is challenging and then once you overcome those hurdles I sort of everything clears everything clears and you can just focus on what you need to focus on and it sounds like that's when uh when you were able to really flourish yeah um I think another <laughs> element that changed after the end of my second marriage was that I started really actively seeking help you know, I started working mm. with therapists. I started working with life coaches, and and I, you know, I have an hour every week with with a high level uh, life and entrepreneurial coach. Uh, Good for I, you. See, I see a, an acupuncture person once a month. I have body work once a month. I have another guy that I'm doing mentoring stuff with on a weekly basis, more from an energy perspective. So I think if you really want to succeed in your life self-care becomes the most important thing you can possibly do on a on at least you know you want to have at least five mornings a week of solid physical mental spiritual practices mm, i agree i uh i have a you know my time that that i do for my stretching and and for my runs and and you know, it just really helps me mentally. And that has always taken a priority. Not a lot else has except my business and, and the dogs, but that I, I feel like I wouldn't be able to be as accomplished with the other parts if, if I didn't mm -hmm. say, put that as a priority and say, no, I'm, that's my time to do that. And that's my time. And I'm absolutely doing it. So whatever it is for each individual person, but allows, uh, allows that to, if we start taking that away from ourselves, then we're not able to give in the best way that we can give. So I think that's, that's important for people to, to say, it's okay to take that time for yourself. In fact, it's, it's necessary, whatever that is for you, you know, whatever that, that time is, but as long as it gives you that uh, mental ability to because there's going to be challenges. There's going to be challenges. So we need to have that ability to address them and, and overcome them. So how do you feel like your web is making an impact? Well, most of our students with, with the animal-based bodywork are seeing 
you know, visible improvements in our animals within a couple of weeks of starting the training. So we're making wow. a difference in the sense that people uh, are waking up to the problem, the, the unknown, very commonly missed problem of silent pain, soft tissue pain in, in the animals that share our lives. Now, this is a this is a massive blind spot in the veterinary industry and in in the understanding of pet guardians at large in the world. Uh, soft tissue pain doesn't show up on X-rays and MRIs and CTs and things like that, and you need to have particular skills to be able to palpate and discover it. But if you don't know them, it's a bit like if you don't if you've never ridden a bicycle and you hop straight on and try to ride, you're probably going to get some gravel rash, right? You're not going to know how to do it. Mm -hmm. So. One of the big ways we're making a difference in the world is educating people. I offer a, a free masterclass webinar series about every two weeks. I think we're up to our 97th or 98th time around on that now. So we've had thousands and thousands of people go through that. Uh, so education in terms of the problem, <laughs> education then in terms of how to get your hands on your pets, how to find these kinds of pain how to then use uh, loving therapeutic touch in a broad range of ways to relieve pain, uh, to relieve anxiety, to relieve trauma. And then if you get into the more intuitive side of things, well, you can expand your intuitive capacity so that you can actually be able to perceive more of what's going on with your animals in an energetic and subtle sense and be able to help so, them in ways that you can't physically help. Yeah. So can an an average pet parent do this or would they hire somebody who's trained to do this look anyone who's willing to commit some time and resources into doing it can learn how to do it we've had all mm. sorts of people we've got one woman who's a practitioner who's completely blind um mm. wow oh i bet she's super woman. intuitive yeah she is we've got another woman who's a practitioner who's got severe rheumatoid arthritis in her hands and you can adapt this work pretty much to work within whatever limitations. I know that there's been a couple of times in the not so recent past, but in the past where I've had a really sore back. So I had the animal on the floor and I'm using my feet to work with the animal. So there's, there's all sorts of ways you can adapt. Creative solutions, adapting. That's wonderful. So I just wanted to get back to this point you were making about the veterinarians. Um, it is that, I mean, you are a veterinarian, so I find it so interesting to hear that, um, you know, you're having that challenge of spreading awareness or increasing uh, the, in, increasing it becoming mainstream or more common for veterinarians to know and apply or maybe even at least have one person in their clinic professional in their clinic that does it or that they refer uh, you know I obviously have that with um, my behavioral method getting it into mainstream is challenging having vets do refer me they they don't like to have dogs that are aggressive or anxious mm -hmm. in their clinic but it is a, a challenging industry to incorporate new methods and procedures into and so to hear you oh, as a vet also has that challenge oh absolutely and you know i always am a bit perplexed because you you have the veterinary industry at large that says well where's your evidence base and yeah. then you've got 
the vast majority of veterinarians in the world are still vaccinating pets at, at every year or every three years when there's an absolute wealth of knowledge and evidence base that shows that your core vaccines last at least five to seven years. So there's a little bit of a double standard yeah. when it comes to something <laughs> like that. A huge, a huge money spinner for vets. But the, the other thing is that I think we, we have seen some pretty significant changes in the industry in that the, it's it's kind of normal now for there to be rehab vets that are doing uh, yes. and physios working with animals and and pet massage, which was probably started off by um, the fellow who runs pet Mas massage in the states was probably the first person that really took pet massage out into the world in a big way, and I remember reading his books oh eight nine ten years ago and then mm -hmm. being inspiration to me as well. So there is a big growth in physical therapies. Now, you also have the problem that some veterinary surgeons board then legislate so that you can't do any kind of massage with pets without direct or indirect veterinary supervision, or you have to get a veterinary referral. And, and I honestly think these are monopolistic and unnecessary practices. You know, if you're in New York State in, in the USA, which is the most restrictive of all, only veterinarians or a vet tech under direct veterinary supervision are allowed to do any kind of hands-on work with animals for reward in that state and of course you get other states like california and florida where there's no restrictions so it's it's an interesting and complex situation but it, at the root of it the veterinary industry has got a big knowledge and skill gap in that soft tissue pain what i call neurofascial pain because i think that's the most accurate way to describe it in the fascia and the nervous tissue which interpenetrates in a three-dimensional network throughout the body uh they just don't even know it exists and if you don't know it's like me before i met dr tom ahern and he's done, taught me this thing about horses and i suddenly thought well okay if horses have got neck problems then yeah. stands to reason dogs and cats will too mm -hmm. that opened up me to start exploring and at the moment the veterinary profession is in a place where it's not taught at university it's still not taught at university i've had recently had final year vet students that i've been on prac work that I've worked with and I've told them about this, they're going, wow, that's amazing. And I've never heard of it before. And they're about to go mm -hmm. into practice. So uh, the other problem is when you look at it from a veterinary perspective or a more standard veterinary perspective is doesn't show up on diagnostic imaging. So your vet looks at your x-ray and oh, it looks totally normal, nothing to worry about. And the only way you can find it is a, a particular skill of palpation. So you have to feel into the body in a certain way to be able to discover where there is this hidden silent pain. And the only way that's effective at treating it is hands-on work, body work, engaging with movement, with pressure, uh, in a whole range of ways with therapeutic touch, because it's a physical pattern locked up in the body. And well, you're sure you can give anti-inflammatories and prescription pain relief, and that'll mask the symptoms and the animal will seem to be better, but it doesn't actually fix the underlying problem. Like with humans. Exactly like with humans, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah I mean, that all makes complete sense. And there's a lot of, uh, again, I hear the same thing with my method. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, CBT works on humans. Why wouldn't it work? They all have cognition. They all have emotions. They all have a past experience. And the method is scientifically, you know, why aren't, why aren't they teaching it in, you know, universities and 
behavioral core. Well, well yeah. I mean, you know, it, it takes a, it takes a bit and it takes people to go out there and say, I want to learn that. Why don't I know that? And that's interesting. And, and I, you know, that challenge is there, but there's also the people that uh, do, do respect and, and find it interesting and absolutely see why it would make sense. And it's, it's, yeah, especially if it's something that has helped us or has happened to us or we've seen it or it's worked with us or, or someone that we know, someone that we love and trust and, it, and it's been effective on them. I could see people absolutely seeing the, the logic behind it. I, th I think that the ongoing what they call humanization of pets, of dogs, of cats, where people are more and more treating the animals as uh, as like a human, like a member of the family. Now, there's some mm -hmm. pros and cons in that. There's some mm -hmm. goods and bads, but it's leading to people really exploring a whole lot more of the different kinds of options available to their animals and wanting to be able to use the most effective and least harmful ways of, of benefiting their animals when it comes to treating them, whether it be for pain or any other kind of problem, anxiety, trauma, health issues. And that yeah. is pressure on the vet industry to, to move slowly, slowly, very slowly, but they're moving. <laughs> right. And if people are asking about it and talking about it and, and wanting to be exposed to it by their vet instead of, you know, going in through the back door, then that would be one way for them to be able to bring it to the forefront and to mainstream while still managing it or being in in having some kind of control over it in a sense as opposed to just pretending that it's not there yeah. but yeah. actually saying yeah we are going to research it and and there's nothing wrong with looking for the evidence base and the and the scientific you know has it been scientifically proven this kind of thing but to just exclude it or or deny it being there or just push it aside because it hasn't been well let's let's explore that let's move forward and and see because if, okay. if dogs have the cats and horses have those parts of the body i mean you're a vet i'm not but you know they have the body structure and and the tissue and that would be conducive or necessary in order for this method to be effective if they have it then it would make sense from a scientific point of view that it would be effective well yeah and i think when you come down to evidence base and research there's some interesting forces at play that that kind of skew things number one is it costs an incredibly large amount of money to do high level double-blinded, triple-A-grade studies. It's it's massively expensive and people won't invest in that unless there's a return. So most of that money goes towards um, prescription medications, which can be patented and then which are a money pump for whoever gets something effective and patents it. They can make incredibly large amounts of money out of it. Now, that's well and good. And I'm, I am not against prescription medications used in the right context, in the right dose for the right animal, but they can be incredibly, incredibly helpful. But then you come to herbal medicine that gets demonized mm. and you can't, you're not going to get anyone doing the research. You've got a very long history 
of of use safely for a lot of these herbs and i think you should then consider that you've got other things like energy healing which there's actually some pretty damn fine high grade studies that show that these energy based interventions can definitely be more effective than a placebo now you run into a whole lot of other things about different practitioners and how effective are they and different modalities and all that sort of thing but the, the beautiful thing about energy healing is that it can't do any harm so mm. it's like like the ultimate adjunct of therapy you and you get complementary therapies uh you get different kinds of medicine that can be can be really really helpful but it's often a matter of experimenting and and working with a range of practitioners too to get the best result for your pets absolutely it it is it's just very similar to what we eat and a diet that works for us or anything that we need to play around with a little bit and be in tune with what's happening in our body and our mind and make decisions based on that and learn what works for us or works for our pet. So, how, how can people get a hold of you or how can they learn more about web? <clears throat> They can come or any the, of your your um, solutions there that you've. Well, they can come along to wholeenergybodybalance.com. That's probably a good place to drop in. You'll find all about the modality and the trainings and and the um, free silent pain masterclasses. We offer all that sort of thing there. Uh, the healingvet.com is more my veterinary side of things. So I do offer online and in person um, mentoring and consultations for integrative, intuitive veterinary work with animals um apart from that i'm also a musician and i've got a, a oh, performed cool. tree brother and i've just we've just got an album that we've just polishing off the mastering on right now and i'll be getting all the graphic design done and launching later in october too so oh that's so neat music's so good for the soul i love music what's the name of your band tree brother tree oh i love it that's fantastic Oh, I'm going to look that up. That's great. And all of that, including the link to the, the band and the music musician world will be on the show notes. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us? You're just a wealth of information and such an interesting guy. Oh, thank you. Uh, look, I think, I think one thing is dream big and then take consistent action no matter how small towards your dream and find something that really fills your soul with joy to do in your life i mean i love working with animals and i've been extraordinarily fortunate to have a lot of a lot of time to to develop all this work with animals but i truly believe that the human spirit if if engaged with a healthy will and a lot of self-care get out there have fun and and grow your mm -hmm. life and do something you love that's beautiful. That's well said. And the animal world and the people who love animals, we're very fortunate to have you in our world and helping and creating these solutions and spreading awareness. So thank you so much, Dr. Edward, and we will keep in touch. And for everybody, thank you for listening to The Solutionist Show. Thank you. Cool. Thanks so much for having me.